the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 248 for Monday, March 8th, 2010. And welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab from sunny Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton. And in uh, sunny and warm, I, I just looked at the thermometer, Dave. It's uh, it's, about, it's over 60 degrees here. Whoa. And uh, yeah, apparently spring has sprung. Spring or is maybe here. Maybe they're just tricking us. Life so is Skittles a, and life is beer. One thing what? I love about this time of the year is the spring. Don't you like me? Yes. Of course you do. Right? Isn't that, t- that the, that's the Tom Lehrer song, right? That, that's, the, that's the lyrics for it. Um, poisoning pigeons in the park, right? You've I, heard that I song? Don't keep up, I don't keep up with that sort of thing. Tom Lehrer, he's from like the, the 60s. It's, it's nothing new. Oh, yeah, I, I was born. So, hey, you know, you know how you get that spacey feeling the first day you're getting a cold? You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Oh, I get that. And then, uh, you know how my family uh, basically forbids me to have caffeine because I get all crazy? Yeah, I know about that. Imagine if you put both of those together, what might happen? Uh, probably today's show, right? That's probably, yeah, we're, we're going we're gonna to find out. Yep. So, why don't we just start off with a few things here. So, Dave, you know, as, as I showed you in the title of the, on the Skype here, you know, I decided to kind of jump into the next decade as far as uh, some of the things that I'm doing with my machine here. So, one, now, I just want everybody to, to, to just... You know, don't worry. Hell has not frozen over. But but sit down, folks, because this is a big deal. What, what John's about to tell us here. So, anyways, so I've been making incremental changes to my system here. You know, wanting to get it lean and mean. You know, because Dave's all about being lean and mean. I am. Um, but one thing I was I've been slowly doing is you know, and I've talked about this is to upgrade my Eudora setup to to do things in a more modern fashion. You know, go going from Pop, uh, you know, to IMAP and stuff like that. And then you know everything you know, moving uh you know my addresses uh, using the address book instead of you know all things you can certainly do with Eudora. And then I thought, you know what? Let me give this another shot because the last time I tried to upgrade from Eudora to the latest beta or to Apple Mail, it it didn't work out. I think there was a crash during the migration. And it just really soured me to the whole upgrade thing. And uh, plus, Snow Leopard actually um, runs Eudora six two four better than a than a Leopard did. When so you say when you say better, what, what do you mean? I mean faster, uh, smoother? There, uh, no, there, there were times uh, more um, more reliable, and that there there were often cases when I tried to launch Eudora, which I guess is running under Rosetta. Mm-hmm. Um, it wouldn't launch under uh, under Leopard. Oh wow! It would just crash. Huh? I'm like, huh? That's terrible. Yeah. For I don't know what they did. They must have rewritten um, Snow Le- or you know they did a lot of you know a lot, uh, yeah. upgrades to the plumbing in Snow Leopard versus Leopard. But anyway, so it ran better, and I'm like, you know, I'm just going to stick with it. And I'm like, you know what? Let me give Apple Mail a try. So so I didn't want to try to do the Thunderbird or the Eudora Beta or stuff like that because they have that. And so I tried the migration. You know, the first part, when, when you try to bring your messages over, it's like, you know, well, what client would you like to bring it over from? And Eudora is a choice. Yep. So, you know, I pulled the switch, ran it. It, it ran for a good long time because I, I have tens of thousands of messages. I've been using Eudora for probably like 10 years plus. And sure. I have messages in my mailbox all the way back. But the thing is, so the migration took quite a while. It may have taken an hour or, or less, but it took a good long time. But when it was done, you know, I got to say, 
done this before. So I am currently digging Apple Mail. So it brought over all the messages. There was a little corruption, and that was maybe another thing. But but some of the things that the that, 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 that I didn't like about Eudora, one is that a lot of times URLs, it would come up and say, well, this URL is, is syntactically invalid. And it wasn't, but it was just a limitation, I think, in their parser. Okay. So if there was a URL in a message, I clicked on it, it, it just wouldn't work. Now, there was an option where you could go to the file menu and say open in browser, which would render the HTML fine. But, sure. Um, oh, yeah, Eudora. That- Eudora well, and, and to be fair, you know, and other mail clients could do this, but mail takes full advantage of WebKit, right, to render yes. HTML, whereas Eudora was written long before that was uh, that was an option. And uh, and so they had to kind of build their own parser and it was terrible. Yeah, it was terrible. It, it was it was okay for the time. So anyway, so that's one thing I'm digging and just all the other little hooks that it has. Like, for example, if, if people are on iChat and they're in my mail list, it'll show a little status thing. So, oh, yeah. so, so many wonderful things in mail. Uh, so I'm really digging it. You know, I like the rules. Uh, the, there's one thing I haven't quite figured out yet, which is how to automatically get it to switch over to a certain signature if the uh, email address is a, a particular value. So the... the there may very well be an, a mail extension to do that, John. So what? What? Okay. J- let's talk about this like it's a like it's a real question, right? Because uh, in Eudora, what I would do is Eudora would let you define an account without tying it to a server. As far as I can see, mail does not do that. So for example, like I have my Mac Observer forwarded to another address. Okay, right. Uh, mail will not let me define. You know, John at MacObserver.com, because then it tries to go to the MacObserver.com mail server. And of right. course, I'm, I'm not uh, or, or I don't I don't want to take that path. So right. it, w- it would fail in that respect. So it insists upon. Now, I was able to get around a little bit in that I was able to in the definition for my primary ISP. If you enter comma separated additional values, it'll make them choices. Hang, hang on, hang on, hang on. Slow down. Mm-hmm. Let's answer your first question first. Go. Because <laughs> then, because this next thing is good to talk about too, right? So let's do this All one right. thing at a time. So your main question here, your initial question was, how do I get mail to assign a signature to any given from address without having a separate account from that address? Is that right? Yes. Okay. That is my question. As far as I can tell, the rule capability of mail does not let me do that no it it, it out of okay. the box it doesn't and i don't know of of a solution to this which is why i wanted to pose the question in a, in a clear way just in case anyone else has found it but what i do encourage you to try john is take a look for a mail extension that will let you do this because mm-hmm. that's to me one of the best parts about apple mail on its own it's okay but if it weren't for its extensibility, I couldn't use it. There are things I, I use with mail that are, you know, definitely, uh, you know, I couldn't live without the extensibility. Mail act on is one where I can file messages or, and, and trigger rules with uh, with keystrokes, which is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so there may very well be a mail extension that lets you assign signatures to individual addresses. Now, the next thing you mentioned is actually pretty cool. Uh where you wanted to have multiple from addresses again without creating multiple accounts. And and so now talk about how you did that. All right. Hold on. Uh, he's coming back, folks. He's coming back. I can talk about it. I've right. done it. So I've been doing it for that. years. Well, so. no, I have it right here. Okay, so basically, good. so I have an account. So it's my primary ISP. And what I found out, it's not intuitive, Mm-mm. but in the account information sub tab for that account, if in the email address field, so, of course, I have the email address for my primary ISP, but then if I do a, a comma 
and some other addresses, which are the addresses that forward it to my primary ISP, then they are offered as choices um, in the mail message if I wanted to originate from uh, from one of those other addresses. It's pretty cool. It creates a drop down uh, in mail that you can then choose from all those comma separated addresses. Now, I want to take that one step further, John. You can do the same thing on the iPhone, except you have to get a little sneakier because when you go into the iPhone and go into settings, uh, you know, you go into mail, you pick your account. And then uh, in the address field of that account, you can do the same thing, comma, separate the addresses. But here's the trick. There is no comma on the screen there. Uh, so hmm. the only way to do it previously, the only way you could do it was to sync, to set it all up in mail.app like you have it, John, and then use iTunes to sync it down to your phone. And then that would put those addresses out there and then you could edit them. But, you know, heaven forbid you lost a comma. It wasn't coming hmm. back. Nowadays, though, because the iPhone has copy and paste, you can go somewhere else, perhaps the, the notepad or whatever on the iPhone, and you type in your list with the comma and the space, and then you go back in there and you paste it in and you're good to go. So and it will do the same thing. You can tap on the email address on the phone and you get like a little you get like the little spinny wheel like you would when you're picking dates out of a calendar or whatever. Mm. And uh, and you can pick your email address, your from address from there. Yeah. So I dig that. And one other thing that I noticed today, I was just looking over some emails and um, uh, I forgot. So, somebody actually tweeted me about this, what it's called. But I noticed this is that I was, as I was hovering over. So I got an email and someone included their contact information. And also in the email was a city state pair. Well, when I hovered over that, I noticed a little pull down appeared. And I'm like, oh, well, that's kind of neat. Let's see what it does. And one thing it said was add contact, but the other thing it said, because in this case it was just a city-state pair, it would let me open it up in Google Maps. So, so this is a, a, another part of the architecture, I think, the open architecture of mail. Well, it, that's um, called data detectors. That's available. Data in detectors. I, that's yes. available in iChat. That's um, what they're called. Yep, and and mail as well. So yeah. So I am into the next decade as far as my email <laughs> platform, and uh, some people never thought they'd see the day. And I didn't think so either, but but just because I I took all this effort to kind of you know upgrade portions of my Eudora setup, so you know of course it's it's still there, it's still an old friend. I I you know archived my old folder, though everything imported it seemed uh, yeah. fairly well, and I'm dragging things over from the import folder to the you know actual mail folders as, as I need to. But um, it, it was a very positive experience this time around. As I Good. mentioned before, it crashed during the import, and then everything was a mess, and it really turned me off. So this not this time, but a previous mm. attempt. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Okay. So anyway, so so mail has come a long way because I think the last time I tried it was a couple of years ago, when maybe mail wasn't quite ready for prime time, or it's much more ready for prime time. So I'm very psyched about that. I'm really enjoying it. So the next thing, and I'll, I'll quickly gloss over a couple of other things that I did here. So the other thing is that you know I um. Like many of you, you probably noticed, Dave, when we wrote an article, we'll link to it, of course. Apple uh, now revamped, uh, for better or worse, their uh, developer program. And I thought, you know what? Well, let me sign up now. So so before, I think they had certain levels of membership. And I think you 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 signed up for one of them. I think they had, you know, Premiere and Enhance. But they had all these levels, and they typically were several hundred, if not several thousand dollars, which... Uh, right. You know, I, I I don't know if I was willing to do that. Um, but now they they apparently flattened it down to one program. So I guess the old programs will still, uh, you know, function. And I think the the big thing is they're probably going to get rid of the uh, hardware discounts unless well, that, you're really special. That's what they. Yeah, it used to be that you could either do the uh, the premiere or the premiere, which was uh, several thousand dollars, but included 
a lot of hardware discounts and um, and a WWDC ticket, or you could do a select membership, which was a couple of hundred bucks, maybe four hundred bucks, uh, and that included uh, just just uh, just one hardware discount, I think. And and so now it's ninety nine bucks, no hardware discounts, no WWDC ticket included, uh, but you do get. I think you get two right. support incidents per year, which isn't yep. bad. So that's good. Yeah. So there's still, and then you get theoretical, but you know, people were saying, well, you know, how much do they value their developers by doing this? Uh, to me, I don't know if you'd necessarily want to make money off of your developers, you know, as a uh, Balmer would say, developers, developers, de- you've seen the video. I've anyways, seen Balmer. Um, yeah. uh, though you did get a benefit. Yeah. I mean, that's a funny video. Maybe we'll link to that as well. But anyway, so I decided to sign up for both the Mac program and the iPhone program, 99 bucks each for a year. Okay. Um, but then I looked at my machine, and you know, uh, you and I both have the same machine, Dave. I believe it's the early 2008 Penryn uh, MacBook Pro. Yep. And now, according to Apple, this machine, though we've discussed this before, we'll remind people, this machine officially only supports 4 gigabytes uh, of RAM. Correct. Now, depending on who you talk to, and then our good folks here, and uh, they didn't pay us to say this. Uh, they're just great guys, and, and, and I actually bought a few things from them. So number one, they have done testing, and they claim, and I, I trust them on this, that our machine will actually support six gigabytes of RAM. Right. Now, of course, there's no such thing as an odd-numbered RAM chip, as far as I know. So what you're, what, what's going to happen is that, uh, so I ordered a chip from them, and it was a very good price. Uh, again, they're not paying me to say this. I just think they're great. So I got a 4 gigabyte PC5300 DDR2 667 megahertz SO DIMM. Um, so I'm going to pop out one of my 2 gig chips and pop in a 4 chip. Uh, and it was like 140 bucks, which I think is a good price. When I looked That's a great. couple of years ago, the price, in the, and I think you and I discussed this, is, is a, a year or two ago, that chip was like 500 bucks. So that was oh, crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's like in you know under two hundred dollars, so I think that's great. And actually, OWC does have a trade-in program, though I may hold on to the two gig chip because I think if I ever send this into Apple for service, the first thing they're going to do is say, "Dude, you don't have a standard RAM configuration." Uh, well, no. Um, my my experience is you oh that that they either will complain that you don't have all Apple RAM or not. That's it. Oh. That that's all. So as long as you have one Apple RAM chip that you could put in there before you send well, it back to them, then well, I don't because matter. actually I traded in. The, one of yeah. the first things I did is when I bought the machine is I took out the Apple RAM, sent it off to OWC. They give you a little money for it, yep. and I bought the OWC RAM. Okay, so yeah, so you're out of luck. Just take if you want to. If you're worried about the non-standard configuration, then just yank the chip before you send it in and send it in with just a two gig chip. Yeah, uh-huh. well, uh, none of them are Apple chips anymore. Right, right. And I sent them in. So anyway, so that's going to bring my machine. Now, the only downside is that now our machines support this thing called dual channel, which I believe gives you a 128-bit uh, data path. Yeah. So I will not get that benefit, but as you and I discussed, and OWC has benchmarks, the benefit of having more RAM far outweighs the uh, benefit of having the uh, the matched pair. Yeah, I'm so, curious how that works out for you. That's uh, that, that It's something I've considered doing just because I'm always at the RAM ceiling on, on that machine. So Yep. So I'm going to kick it up to six. That's the most the machine can get. Um, and then the other thing is that, you know, since, uh, you know, I've been doing a lot of stuff lately, you know, I've been doing more photos. Um, can I talk about my site at uh, web.me.com slash John Braun where I put my photos or no? No, no, you're not allowed to mention that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So don't go there and look at my photos. Though uh, I'm having a lot of fun with photography and I, I may get a new camera actually too, but that's another podcast. Um, 
So anyways, I have a two, I believe I got it. You may have gotten the same. So I think I have a 250 or 300 gig drive in there. It was a 250 that we both wound up with. Yeah. 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 And so I looked again on OWC um, and I wanted to kick it up a notch because the drive that I have right now is a 250 gig, um, 5,400 RPM, eight megabyte cache, uh, so on and so forth. And then I looked at OWC and I was shocked at what they had available. So I know SSDs are the cat's meow and, and you, you, you're you on the SSD bandwagon and I think you're really enjoying it. Oh, yeah. I wanted capacity, but I also wanted to get, um, <clears throat> I wanted to get some more performance. So I looked at what they have right now. So it's the same class or the same company. So it's a Hitachi drive, but I decided to get this and this I thought was was awesome. So So OWC has a kit. It's not only the drive, but they also have one of their basic enclosures yeah. So what I got is a 500 gig Hitachi Travel Star 7K500. So it's not only a 7200 RPM drive, but it has twice the cache. It has 16 megs of cache versus eight. It has about double the throughput. And this is an important figure. And I actually brought up the specs for the drive. The throughput is 1245 megabits per second and versus 665 for the other drive. So, so when you look at drives, ignore the bus speed for the most part. Look at the drive throughput. And this is what I did. Hitachi has their, their data sheets available. So the, the throughput is about twice. So that's good. The mm-hmm. RPMs are twice and the cache is twice. So I'm expecting about two times performance increase. When you say performance Look. increase, you're, you're talking about um, when transferring mass chunks of data, correct? Absolutely. Yeah, okay. no, yeah, you're correct. Now, even even then, the latency on this is a little lower. It's 4.2 milliseconds it's versus still, 5.5. Still but no, you're absolutely correct. Uh, yeah. It's a, the thing look, is, here's the thing. I've had 7,200 RPM laptop drives before. Uh, it's a waste of money, in my opinion. Uh, and I tell you that as a friend. Uh, it makes no difference whatsoever unless you're moving massive chunks of data regularly. Mm-hmm. But in terms of just daily general use, I saw it absolutely no benefit to all the 7200 rpm drives i ever put in a laptop they all every single laptop drive is just pig slow in terms of the seek time it's a bunch of bs uh i don't care if they say it's four milliseconds or five it's more like about 50 uh because those heads have to move around it's they suck okay Uh, every laptop drive sucks so i think it's safe to say it will be no worse correct than the drive i have now it'll be a little better it may not be twice. I mean, all the numbers indicate that, you know, it has twice the cache, twice the throughput and all that. No, no, I'm with you. I, yeah. I agree with you. The, the latency with the SSDs is the big deal that makes them, you know, blazingly fast. Especially compared to laptop drives. You know, a drive in, in an iMac, like a full-size drive, The late, I mean, yeah. the latency of an SSD is still way better, you know, than those. But those aren't that bad. But, man, laptop drives right. are just terrible. But to me... Yeah, well, they're, they're small. I mean, yeah. I guess. Now, the thing is, the bang for the buck here, and this you can't argue with, Dave. Well, you could argue, but you I'll lose. argue. No. <laughs> uh, so this drive, and OWC has these kits. Now, it's on back order for about a week, but uh, I can wait. Yep. 129 with their case. That's a great So to price. me, 129 for a 500 gig drive to upgrade from my 250. To me, I needed space versus performance. That's where I placed. Okay. okay. Yeah, so in this case, I'm with you. Now, the thing is, I looked, and there are certainly 500 gigabyte SSDs, but you're probably talking <laughs> between one, uh, I saw anywhere from about 2500 yeah. on the low end to maybe $1,000 for a 500 gigabyte SSD. So yeah. that's, uh, to me, compared to 129, 
I'll take this incremental step. Plus, I mean, I get the bonus of having the external case that, you know, so I have now a 250 gig drive. I can, you know, like with the develop program, if I want to install a, uh, right. if Apple even had a version of Mac OS 10 beyond 10.6.2. That's right. Um, then I could, in theory, install it on this external drive. Of course, one cannot speak of such things. That's right. So, <laughs> uh, of course, you can. So, anyways, so that's my upgrade adventure, and boy, I'm just you know thrilled with all these. Uh, you know, I'm waiting for the toys now. Actually, you know, the other thing with ODBC, and then then we'll move on. They don't nail you. I've had some places really nail you on shipping. Now these guys actually offer USPS with delivery confirmation, which is a couple cool. of bucks. Yeah. Um, if you want it quick, yeah, if you want it FedEx, you know, if you want it UPS Red or FedEx, you know, next day you can get it. I'm not in a big hurry here, but they offer very flexible and I think realistic shipping options as well. That's one thing that bugs me about some vendors is they nail you on the so-called shipping and handling. Of course. Some of them try to make money on that. Uh, from what I see, OWC does not. So, again, they don't pay me to say this. Uh, I think they're, they're somebody that you and I have dealt with in the past and have had very... Uh, yeah, definitely. Good results. Yeah, they know so, what they're uh, doing there, without question. They, you know, they do all their own testing, and and uh, they 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 do. They, they've got a good top quality shop, and it's all uh, wind turbine powered now, which is even cooler. Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah, man. You got to keep up on the news. All right. So okay. I have uh, I've started experimenting with Gmail and IMAP again. Uh, so I have a I I have a tip to share, and I'll say I noticed some weirdness in mail with hang on the way the folders were laid out. But 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 go on. But I, I noticed some weirdness in how they laid out IMAP versus how Dot Mac does it. How Gmail does? Oh yeah yeah yeah. So, but anyway, hang, about on, this, hang on hang on hang on hang on hang on hang on. Bear with me here, uh, and check your check your CPU because your Skype connection is sounding terrible today. Um, so I want to talk about that, but first I want to talk about our first sponsor for the show because we're uh, we're getting long in the tooth here. Uh, and our first sponsor is Barebone Software with Yojimbo. Yojimbo is an information organizer. It is, it, and they say this too, <laughs> it is effortless to use this thing. You just start pushing information into it. It, it has a three-pane view, just like mail does, right, John? Uh, and it allows you to categorize all the data that you bring in. You can have... Your, uh, you can bring in text files, you can bring in pictures, you can bring in PDFs, you can put pictures inside text files. It's, you know, it's all real text, uh, RTFD stuff in there, uh, rich text rather. Uh, you, it's got a special form for storing serial numbers and it's just one big place where you can dump all this data and categorize it. Uh, I use it for a lot of different things. I have a backbeat category. I have a TMO category. I have a Mac geek cab category. I have all kinds of different stuff where I just pull this stuff in. It syncs with all my Macs using mobile me sync. And, uh, and I just have my data. I can search the whole thing if I want. I can search just certain categories. I can search by name. I can search by, by content, and uh, and I actually use it to play all the theme songs from the show and to read the the, the emails that we're going to you know talk about here uh, if we ever get there. And because uh, John and I have so much stuff to talk about anyway. And uh, it, it's fantastic. It's available at barebones.com. You can try it out for free, of course. And then it's thirty nine bucks for an individual license or sixty nine for a family pack. So all available. Yojimbo from barebones.com. Now. Okay, uh, this should be a lot better. Okay, I, good. I quit a few things that were running in the background. Um, you know, and that may be my next upgrade, Dave. I'm mm. still on the old 2 gigahertz dual processor G5. Uh, 
which is a fine machine for certain things. But uh, no, you, you, you were right. I was looking at uh, my menu meters thing and I, I was seeing little spikes here. So I quit a few okay. background things. Now it's down to about 35% of both cores. And this should, I hope, sound better. Yeah, it does so far. Okay, so I, I, I promised you uh, my, my answer to the Gmail IMAP issues. So I've started playing around with Gmail, and the reason I have is because I am abandoning the concept of us managing our own mail server. Uh, there's no reason to anymore. It's more headache than it's worth. It's, it's the most convoluted part of our hosting setup, and if that thing goes down, it's going to be a big nightmare to uh, to rebuild it. So uh, I'm heading uh, heading that off at the pass. Of course, it's all backed up and everything, but I'm heading that off at the pass and just abandoning running a mail server whatsoever. So uh, being that uh, I wanted to be the guinea pig on this one, I set up uh, Google apps for domains with one of my other uh, domains. And now I've got all my mail running through uh, Gmail, but not not directly Gmail. This is Google apps for domains, but it works the same as Gmail in terms of its IMAP implementation. And here's the problem with Google's IMAP. Google keeps Google has no folders uh, on Gmail. What they do is they have labels, but things can have multiple labels assigned to them. And that gets very confusing when is that they, what that is? Because yes, I look at bear, mail bear and I me. see Gmail and I see folders under my Gmail folder. Well, they look yes. like folders in mail. Go on. Yes. So what what Gmail does is they take labels and when an IMAP client connects, they translate them to folders. This is fine if you don't have anything with more than one label. But if you do, you have a problem. And everyone has a problem because... Google has a folder called all mail or a label called all mail. You can yeah. go there and you can see everything. It shows you what's in your archive. It shows you what's in your inbox and it shows you anything that's not categorized. Right. So all mail is your archive, but it's also showing you all the stuff that was in your inbox currently uh, and all of that. So it can get very confusing. And if you connect via IMAP, what happens is you have two copies of every message. You have one in your inbox and one in all mail. If you file it into an archive tab, or an archive folder or label, well, now you've got a, a, another duplicate copy, right? And it's all over the place. It's a mess. So here's the solution. Google has something that they call Google Labs. If you go into your settings in Gmail and go to Labs, it's, uh, it's a tab way over uh, on the right. There's a whole bunch of things, and there's some cool stuff, and all of these, these little widgets add functionality. Well, there's one that's called Enhanced IMAP. And let me make sure I get that name right. Uh, it, I'm sorry. Advanced IMAP controls by Jamie N as in Nancy. So advanced IMAP controls. What you do is you enable that. Then you go down to the bottom of the screen and you hit save changes. Nothing will change. Now you go to labels uh, again in settings. And now inside labels, you're going to see a new set of checkboxes next to Every single label and what it says by each of those checkboxes is show in IMAP. So for me, what I did was I first went to all mail and I unchecked the show in IMAP box, hit save. And now the all mail thing doesn't show up in IMAP. I created a separate label called IMAP archive, and that's where I can archive my mail. Still shows up in all mail when I'm on the Gmail interface, but I'm not getting duplicate copies of my messages. The other thing to do and the other place that this edit, that this changes, is if you go to the forwarding and pop slash IMAP tab in Gmail, you'll see under IMAP access, you now have two new options. 
or two new sets of options, one for auto expunge and another for when a message is expunged from the last visible IMAP folder, what should I do? Uh, my experience has found that you want to set auto expand expunge to the first option, which is immediately expunge messages when I mark them deleted in IMAP. What that means is when you delete a message from IMAP, uh, it does not delete the message immediately. It marks it as to be deleted. And then at some point later on, the mail client sends an expunge command. And that then processes all those deletions. And it's meant to make IMAP more efficient. Uh, but what will happen is mail doesn't send an expunge command until you quit or some other. I'm not sure of all the scenarios where it does that, but certainly quitting mail does. So uh, you want to make sure you uh, you set that to immediately expunge messages when you mark them deleted. So as soon as your IMAP client, I emailed that app, marks the message deleted, it pulls it out of your inbox in uh, in the uh, in the Gmail interface, still keeps it in all mail, still keeps it in whatever archive you've put it. If you take a message and file it from your inbox to another another you know IMAP folder, it, if you leave it on expunge immediately, then that message will disappear from your inbox and immediately appear in this other folder. So it works really, really well. Uh, it works with my iPhone. It's working with, with a couple of different mail clients and, uh, and I've been very happy, but it's that being able to pull all mail out of the IMAP mess is, is the solution to Gmail's IMAP wackiness. So I wanted to make sure we shared that. Okay. No, that's great. Because actually I noticed that in that. Yeah. So I would have these multiple, which I thought were folders, but you corrected. Well, they are folders. As really far as, well, they're folders as far as mail's concerned, mail apps concerned. Yeah. But I would notice is that I delete a message and then I look in another folder yes. and I'm like, well, it, it's still there. How come right. it's still there? Because the .Mac implementation from what I can tell is more correct in that they have distinct folders where if you delete a message in that folder, it, it doesn't appear in another one. So, yeah, so they, 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 they have some sort of hack or uh, they so don't here, quite comply with. Here's IMAP. the other thing to do. Um, and I'm glad you brought this up, John. When you set up an IMAP account with mobile me, mail knows exactly what to do. Um, it assigns all the right mailboxes and you're good to go. If you go into your mail preferences for an IMAP account. So, you, you know, you go into mail preferences, accounts. Uh, you can go to the mailbox behaviors tab, which is the second one for each account. Got and you it. have an option as to whether or not you're going to store drafts, sent junk or trash on the uh, on the mail server. I don't recommend storing drafts on the mail server because uh, mail.app screws that up and it'll create multiple copies of all your draft messages. So don't do that. Uh, however, do store sent and trash. Don't store junk. And we can talk about that another time, but store sent and trash on the mail server, but tell it to never delete them, especially with, with Gmail. There's no reason to. Then what you have to do is you go back. So you close this and save it. And then you go back to your, uh, your main message pane and you'll see under Gmail, you'll have um, sent mail and trash folder names under your uh, Gmail folders. What you do is you go to them one by one, you highlight sent mail, and then you go up to the mailbox menu at the top of the screen and choose use this mailbox for, and then choose sent. Uh, and it'll disappear, but really it doesn't disappear. It moves up into uh, a subcategory of your sent messages up at the top and then do the same thing with trash. Now, when you delete mail, 
from uh, from your inbox or from anywhere else. It moves it from your inbox to the trash folder, which is on Gmail and keeps all of that in sync. And then Gmail will purge that trash folder every 30 days. Does that make sense, John? You with me on this? You're doing it right now. Aren't I'm, you? I'm learning. Mm. No, I'm looking at it. And, and the this one last is, thing this, this is not thing. unique to Gmail. Just to just to be clear, yes. it, it, this happens with any IMAP uh, mail server. You've got to sync up the client with the server, otherwise you're going to have yes. stuff that's a big mess. And you got to do the same thing on your iPhone. Uh, it's mm. a you know slightly different process uh, stepwise, but it's the same sort of thing. You're assigning sent and trash to specific folders that already exist on the mail server. So go ahead, John. Yep. And the last thing I did, and then we're going to actually get to the show, but I, I, I hope this discussion was useful to people. Or if not, you'll just be tickled that I actually decided to move <laughs> ahead here. But I actually integrated my pal SpamSiv. So I'm not using the junk filter in Apple Mail. I'm right. using SpamSiv. Here's my advantage. I get to retain the training that SpamSiv has already uh, and they have a plugin for Apple Mail, which is great. So, so the thing is, rather than throw away all the training that I've done, though, though for the most part, it's still spot on when it identifies spam. I didn't lose that. Now you got to you got to right. do something a little weird. It's a one time thing where you got to set up, you know, a rule to to put something in a spam folder versus the junk folder in Apple Mail. But and you explicitly have to disable the junk folder. But uh, I'm still thrilled with the uh, spam sieve, and and th- that was another thing that that drove me to do this is that I was able to migrate all the training and all the stuff that it's already learned and bring this over into, to a new uh, email client. So that's another thumbs up for uh spam Well, and I, on the, on the spam side, I will mention if you're going to use Gmail, they have excellent server side spam filtering, which is nice because oh, it filters not that's only for one your, thing I've noticed yes. because mail is now alerting me about this. Oh my gosh. I must have had 40 messages today that are spam. Yeah. Their spam filter is great. So, yeah, they're, they're a first line of defense. I, it, it's ridiculous. Oh so, my gosh. so here's I mean, the thing, though. Uh, they do have great server-side spam filtering, which is nice because you get it on your iPhone as well as, you know, you don't have to rely on a, a, a client-side um, application to do the spam filtering. But if you notice a piece of spam got through to your Gmail account, Take it from your inbox and file it into the Gmail spam folder. That will train Gmail that that message is spam. Oh, on, the yes. other, on the other hand, if you have a, if you look in your spam folder and you see a message that's not spam and drag it out and back to your inbox, that will train Gmail that it's not spam. So you can train Gmail spam filters with IMAP, which is actually pretty cool. But it's Good. ridiculous. Just today I'm looking. I, I must have gotten 40 to 50 spams in my Gmail spam folder. Oh, yeah. And it's like, you know, how much Viagra do you need? Oh, my. <laughs> it's terrible. Or how many, you know, yeah. make money at home things. It, it, it's ridiculous. I, it, uh, Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, the, the stuff that gets through on my, my primary ISP that oh, yeah. spam grabs is a fraction of what my Gmail account gets. It, it's just yeah. ridiculous. And I don't really give that out too much. I mean, it, I... Yeah, whatever. Hmm. All right. Uh, On to the show. My God. Uh, again, so, we hope some of this was useful. Um, again, if not, I'm just tickled to be, be uh, you know, up to date on, on <laughs> both my mail and, and my uh, my RAM and my hard drive. So moving on, Dave. Moving on. So Tips we, and follow-ups? Yeah, we have some follow-ups from, from recent shows. Uh, we talked about, in Mac Geek Up 245, we talked about Robert's 
issue where every time he launched apps that would complain to him that he needed, it was the first time he was launching it. And was it okay to launch this app? Uh, and we had a couple of comments on that. We'll, yeah, uh, that's we'll normal. Let, we'll right. let Justin, well, not every time it's not normal. It's a, oh, it's a problem. Not. Yeah. So we had some comments on this and, and Justin, uh, we'll start with Justin. Hey, John and Dave, this is Justin calling from Boulder, Colorado with some feedback from Mac Geek Gab number 245. Robert was having a problem where he was continually getting the, this is an application downloaded from the internet. Are you sure you want to open it warning with third party applications? Um, and he was getting that message over and over again. My guess is, is that he installed the application using a user account that isn't the user account he's trying to open it with. Um, Snow Leopard's a little weird. When you drag an application into the applications folder, it sets the permissions such that the user who dragged it there is the only user with write access to the file, um, read-write access to the file, and all other users, including users in the administrators group, only get read access to the file. So when Robert tries to open the application using the, the other user account, he's not able to write in the file, right? He's not able to write in the application that he's answered this question, and so he gets asked the question over and over again. Um, the easiest way to fix this is to simply open the application using the user account who originally installed it. If that's not possible, you can always delete the application, drag it back in using your current user, and then open it up. You'll be able to say open, um, and then you'll never get the message again. Uh, yeah, thanks, guys, for the great show. I really appreciate it. This is where you cut me off. All right. Thanks, Justin. And uh, and Steve, uh, Steve had a couple of things to add to that yeah. conversation. I want to uh, let Steve. Uh, well, let me talk let me about what Steve this. has here and then, and then we'll go. So Steve said, uh, th there's a couple of two, a couple of fixes. Uh, one is as just as Justin said, the permissions, uh, you can use, uh, and, and he talked about how there's no receipt like we did on the last show for disk utility to repair those permissions. So you have to be, you have to do it in the finder as Justin mentioned. The other is, there's a Mac OS 10 hints article with an automator action action that will disable this warning. So we'll link to that too. And thank you, Steve and Justin for, uh, for, for getting us in. So what, what do you got there, John? Go. Oh, no, I was just going to say in general, if you want to look at permissions, so number one, of course you can go to the terminal, but, uh, and do like an LS uh, space dash L or a, or one of those. But, but the thing is in general, if you want to look at an application and see what the permissions are, you right click on it. Um, and you will see that you do a get info and you will see a sharing and permissions thing on the bottom. You may have to click on a little triangle to bring it up and this will show you system admin and everyone access. And then there's a little lock. And if you click on the little lock, then you can change that. So I just want to help people find where the heck would I find this? And for, for pretty much any app or document, that's where you will find this information. So, uh, you know, if you want to change it, actually, I have one that I found, and I think it's it's one of these problem apps, but it actually says you have custom access, which I don't know if that sounds good to me. <laughs> In terms of uh, sharing of permissions, I don't know if custom access is really good. This is uh, something that I got quite a while back. But, huh. um, uh, actually, let me click on, uh, let me do get info. No, it says, uh, it says it again for something else here, which is uh, address book. So I'm looking at address book. And it says I have custom access. System read and write, admin read and write, everyone read only. That that sounds pretty normal. And then well, that, again, that's normal see, for Apple apps. Yes, yes, and that's an Apple app, of course. Party. And then there's a, a a little lock where I think if you click on the lock and then you give your admin password, then you can change that. But I just want to be clear to people, 
how am I going to find this stuff again? You, you don't want to go in the terminal to do this and do chmod and, and all that stuff. That That's just nasty. It's it's much nicer to do it through the finder. Yeah. I, yeah. It, that, that is a, uh, uh, that is a, that is a good way to do it. Yeah. All right. So, uh, also in, uh, also in two forty five, Brian, uh, or, or we, we talked about, uh, sending your Mac in and how to do that securely when you have to send it in for repairs. And, and Brian wrote in, uh, with a, another option here. He said, uh, Regarding sending a computer to Apple or some other provider with security, yes, you can do the bit that was described, copying files off to an external drive, changing the user folder location, but I think there's an easier way. A, make sure you have a good time machine backup. Good. Yeah, I like that. B, in system preferences, security, turn on file vault for the account you're logged into and want to protect. Write down your password and your master password. Choose a good, strong master password. I would choose a passphrase or something non-dictionary. And make sure the account has a good password as well. C, send the computer in for service. D, when you get it back, turn off File Vault for that account or those accounts. Now, this is optional. I use File Vault on any portable device and would have it used it on desktops too. The downside is that you have to log out of the account for Time Machine to work, and you have to know the encryption password to retrieve files from the backup. However, using File Vault means that if someone gets a hold of my machine, steals it, I'm careless and lose it, or whatever, my data is still encrypted. It will take a while to do the encryption and decryption, perhaps comparable to the time to copy the files off, and that could be a problem if the system is flaky, but you don't have to work with permissions issues, and you may wind up in a situation of being more secure. Again, my opinion is that I don't take a computer out of my house that isn't file vaulted. All right, and uh, and thanks, Bruce. Uh, sorry, I said your name was Brian. It was Bruce, so thank you, Bruce. And you, you got something to add to that, John. I think you had... Uh... Well, well, this was my experience in sending my machine in quite a while ago, but but often uh, they will ask you, if you send the machine in, could you either give us your username or password, which uh, you may not want to do, or what I would suggest is create, I don't know if it, you want to do an admin account, but maybe a fresh, uh, you know, standard account, I think they call it now. Uh, actually, Apple wants an admin account when you send it in okay. for repairs. Yeah. Now, of course, if it's an admin account, in theory, couldn't they? No, I get no. They could. They can't couldn't get into your if... file vault. Oh, oh, of course not. No, they need that password. Okay, good point. So, create an admin account for the Apple people. Be very clear as to what the username and password is. Maybe put it on a little sticky note on the machine, so they can get in and properly diagnose it. Because yeah, the the suggestion that we just got it, it kind of locks out the Apple people, and they may either rip out your hard drive and <laughs> put another one in or, or just do something very drastic in order to uh, to get to the point where they can diagnose the problem properly. So a uh, good suggestion with, with a little caveat. Cool. All right. Also in uh, 245, we talked about the machine heating up when using the graphics chip, especially in boot camp. And Steve has something to add. To hey, that. John and Dave, it's Steve again down in Dallas, uh, oh. Mackie 245. And listening to Michael's question about his MacBook Pro getting hot while running boot camp, um, I would suggest that he check uh, to make sure that he's running the latest drivers. Uh, when Snow Leopard came out, Windows 2000 or Windows 7 was not supported in boot camp, and those drivers did not release until about a month ago. So maybe that he just doesn't have the right drivers. And without the right drivers, that GPU or the hard drive might be heating up. Just thought I'd uh, throw that in there. Keep up the good work, guys. Bye. 
Awesome. Thanks, Steve. And uh, yeah, that's a good point that uh, staying up to date, especially on that boot camp stuff, that makes a huh. big difference. Do you uh, use boot camp at all? No, sir. I use uh, I either okay. use VMware or Parallels. Uh, I have one on one machine and one on the other. Uh, and and for what honestly, for what I'm doing, they yep. they, they both work fine. Although the uh, you know, I, I said uh, in one of the most recent shows, I migrated my did I say this? Maybe I did. Tell me if this sounds familiar. I migrated mm. the kids old Windows machine into a virtual machine. Did I talk about this, John? I don't recall. This, oh, but, so this is yeah. a cool tangent. You know, we, we met with Pat Lee at VMware at Macworld Expo and he talked about this and a light oh, yeah. went on in my head. And so what I did was I, I had this old, old, old Windows machine uh, that was in the house that the kids used to use and occasionally turn it on. And they created some documents there and did some things. And so I've kind of wanted to decommission it, but I didn't want to. You know, just say to heck with the data, because I know if I take it out and put it in the closet, I'll never think about it. And then the drive will wear out or whatever, and I won't be able to get to the data when I want it. So what you can do with VMware is you can migrate an existing window. You don't have to even have to own an extra copy of Windows to do this. You start up VMware on your Mac and you say, I want to migrate a machine in and it gives you a URL that you go to. It's like, you know, VMware.com slash go or something. Uh, And you go to that on the Windows machine. And it installs this little thing and it gives you a p- password, kind of like pairing a Bluetooth device. So you type the password from one computer into the other. And then it proceeds over the network to beam the entire uh, Windows installation, applications, documents, the whole thing. It clones the machine across the network. It took, I don't know, for this machine, maybe 45 minutes or whatever, beamed it over to a virtual machine in VMware and uh, VMware Fusion, obviously on the Mac. And then boom. It was done. It it totally works. It's the same computer. Wow. I don't know how they did it. It's not complaining to me that I need to re- register Windows that it because it's on different hardware or whatever. I don't know what kind of magic they did, but it now that machine is in the closet. I'll never worry about it again. And 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 that's wow. that. So that's very timely. It, it's like a migration assistant for Windows. More than that. that. I mean, it cloned the whole thing. You know, it wasn't a new install on the on the infusion. It's the same thing. It's it's actually very timely, Dave, because I just installed um, mini tangent and we'll move on. But I just installed VMware Fusion 3. As you mentioned, we met our friend at uh, Macworld and uh, he hooked hooked us up. Uh, Full disclosure, I did not pay for it, but I installed it, you know, have a uh, Windows XP license. Um, the thing is I had a drive that, um, you know, a NTFS drive that, that I had some issues with. And the thing is in this case, VirtualBox is lacking. Now again, VirtualBox sure. is worth, I think what you pay for it, which is nothing. Right. And they're pretty good. But the one thing that VirtualBox definitely lacks in is USB support. And basically I have two different drives that are NTFS formatted for various reasons. VirtualBox would show them in the device menu, but they were grayed out. It was just like, yep, I don't. I I would even explicitly, they say sometimes, all right, if you explicitly identify the device based on its vendor and device code in this USB panel where you enable USB, maybe we can see it. In this case, it didn't. It totally failed. VMware, so I got Fusion 3, I got XP with Service Pack 3, installed that. It saw the drives, no problem. Um, cool. The other thing I noticed about the latest uh, VMware uh, Fusion 3, I believe it is, is that the way they do the drive thing, and this was another thing, is that so VirtualBox, or at least the option that I checked, I, I think I, I identified or I, I defined a 10 gigabyte uh, virtual drive. 
And I said, take all that space. Now, the problem is with Time Machine, you want to probably exclude that from the backup. Yeah. Now, the clever thing that I noticed about uh, VMware is that they had an option when I defined the drive where they said, uh, and I think that the wording was along the lines of set it up in X megabyte stripes. And what they do, right. so number one, I think right. what they have is an option where it's kind of flexible and it grows and shrinks. But number two, I suspect is that if something like Time Machine comes along and tries to back it up, it's not going to back up the whole whopping, you know, however many gigabyte hard drive that you allocate. It's only going to back up the parts that are changed. So, you know, hats off to VMware. Of course, you know, you have to pay for it, but I think it's well worth the money if you want better functionality than some of the free options. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. All right. Uh, you know, uh, we've got some other follow ups to talk about, but I do want to talk about our second sponsor for this show, which is go to assist express. Uh, I know a lot of you out there uh, take the advice and, and the things that we talk about here and you help other other clients, some of you or some other Mac users. Some of you even uh, have businesses doing that. And it's great. Those of you that do know, or those of you that, even if you don't have a business, you know how frustrating it is to try and help someone over the phone. Uh, you know, you've got somebody that are your hands and eyes, and they never tell you everything they well, see. Just click on the thingy. Yeah, and they <laughs> never tell you or do all the things that uh, that they're supposed to do. I can't, you know, I can't recall, I can't count the number of times that, uh, you know, somebody's I've been on the phone with somebody and they say, here's what it says on the screen. It's like, well, how could it possibly say that? Uh, well, I don't know. You know, I just clicked on this. Why did you click on that? Well, it looked like the right button to click on. Did I tell you to click on it? Well, no. Huh. Okay, well, we get to erase the last 10 minutes of what we've done and we get to start over. Next time, please don't click until I tell you to click, right? This this conversation has to sound familiar to some of you. Well, wouldn't it be great if you could just control that machine remotely? And you can, and there's lots of options to do it. Go to Assist Express is a great one because of how simple it is. You log into your GoToAssist Express, and John and I, we, we've tried this. You log into your GoToAssist Express dot, uh, uh, account, right? Uh, and then you pick a session. You say, I want to you know, create a session like with John, and it'll send John an email or give me a link that I can then either you know, paste to John in a Skype chat or whatever uh, and say, look, click on this link. And that's all they have to do. John didn't need to install anything Easy. first. Yep. Clicked on the link. He brought him to a web page. Uh, it said, do you want to let Dave in your computer? And he said, yes. And then I, I'm sitting here waiting and it says waiting for John to allow you in. And then suddenly it says, John has allowed you in and boom, up comes John's screen and we can type back and forth. And John, of course, has the ability to see everything that I'm doing and also disconnect me with one click. If he decides, you know, if I start digging somewhere and it's like, whoa, that's that was nice that data. I had control. Yeah. And, and we also had the cursor battle for a little bit. So. Right, right. Yeah, hands but, uh, but No, that made me feel very good that, that the user is in full control and that, yeah, I, I saw this big, you know, red X that I could click on if I was uncomfortable with Dave connecting, which, of course, I wasn't. Right, right. But, but you know, I mean, it, it, it can certainly be a good thing for, for clients or your friends or your, your family or whatever. And you can try this out. It's called Go to Assist Express. You can try it out free for 30 days. And then, you know, here's the cool thing. At the end, before it gets to the end of the 30 days, they're going to tell you you're close to the end of your 30 days. If you want to continue to, you don't have to do anything. If you don't want to continue, just log into this website. And here's the cool part. You can log in and say, 
don't continue me past the 30 days, but you still get your full 30 days. So it, you know, it, uh, it essentially expires your membership the moment before it would, you know, charge you to renew. It's available at go to assist.com slash gab, all lowercase go to assist.com slash gab. All right. Uh, back to, you know, We've been talking a lot, John, about financial software, uh, you know, and and one of the things that uh, that has come out recently is, of course, the new Quicken Essentials. We have had a lot of comments about this. I think I think James Mm -hmm. James kind of sums it all up. I haven't heard any James. Have you you tried it? Uh, You're a Quicken user. I am. And to be honest, no, I have not tried it. Uh, I need I need a lot of time to do that. And, you know, with the power outage and stuff last week, I lost. uh, Yeah. Yeah. What are you you using personally? Quicken 2007. Okay, two thousand seven. Yeah, oh, which is just wow, what, that's a long time ago. Yes, <laughs> don't rub it in. Uh, but that is the most recent version of Quicken Up before Essentials. So James actually had the most balanced view I've seen, and and also the most positive view I've seen on Quicken Essentials. But folks, this is Ooh. by no means positive. So uh, in terms of all the readers that, that or, I'm sorry. <laughs> Told you I was supposed to today. <laughs> in terms of all the listeners, everybody take a shot, right? That's what you're supposed to do when I say readers. Um, and and uh, and control panel, right? That's the other one. So uh, this is, the, well, James. Dave, John, and Pilot Pete. This is Pilot Jim from Erie, Pennsylvania. Hey, regarding show 247, where you talked about financial programs, I have uh, upgraded from Mac or Quicken 2007 to Quicken Essentials, and I am deeply, deeply, deeply disappointed in this program. Uh, this is far less than 2007 for the Mac was. You can't print checks. It doesn't allow bill paying. Uh, it's tough to even track your stocks, which it does. Uh, at Mac World, they were saying this is the missing iLife application. No, it's not. It's not worthy of yet being iLife application. It's missing so much. The interface, however, is beautiful. It's got that Mac interface, very nice looking, very pretty, uh, but it's lacking all the good features. So uh, just being a good looking vehicle without the features doesn't mean much. Um, I think when you take a look at it, you're going to come away the same thing. It doesn't even in the transactions, doesn't tell you whether it's a credit card purchase or a check and what check number or anything. Uh, especially when you can't print checks anyway. So I am deeply disappointed in this program. Uh, it was a waste of money. And the upgrade was, you know, like $59. So it was an expensive upgrade, I thought. At any rate, uh, you know, people coming off Windows uh, converted over to the Mac and then trying to convert to Quicken uh, and think they're going to get the same program. They're not. It's going to be much, much less, which may make them feel like uh, Mac is just uh, not not what a PC does, which is not true at all. We all know that. But anyway, I'm looking at other programs such as Money Dance, Money Well, iBank. And iBank looks pretty good. There's a phone app uh, that connects with it uh, through mobile me or wireless. You can sync with it. So that looks great. The one thing I liked about Quick in 2007 is I had the widget. So if I had a couple of quick entries to do, I could do it very easily. The Mac Essentials doesn't even have that, nor does it have a phone app or anything. So I'm deeply disappointed in Essentials. I thought uh, since they delayed it a year, because they were talking about coming out with this program a year ago, that it was going to have lots of great features, and it doesn't. It's missing almost everything, even for version one. I'm a little disappointed. Now, maybe Intuit will listen to the customers, and version two will be a lot better, but let's see. Anyway, that's my two takes on that. And again, this is Pilot Jim from Erie, Pennsylvania, waiting for the concrete ceiling to go away. <laughs> Thank you, Jim. Yeah. So, uh, wow what what happened, Dave? You know, I mean, it seemed like they were at the top of their game at least when you know you looked at it in 2007. Did they just 
misread the Mac market or did they not allocate enough people or did they not do enough research? I mean, it just sounds like they really dropped the ball here because essentials to me implies this is like essential. This is like all you need. And it, it sounds like it based on what he said that it, it, yeah, they dropped the ball. I don't know. It, it, it's either all you need or it's just the basics, right? You know, just the essentials and nothing more, right? If you're going camping, you don't take everything with you. You take the essentials with you, right? Is and it strip, is it stripped down? I mean, is, it's is a this new, the only product they offer currently that's the currently supported product? No, they still support Quicken 2007. They do. Okay. Yes. Okay. Do and they still sell it? Yes. Oh, okay. All right. Maybe this is... But it's Rosetta, right? It's, you know... All right. That's, it, a, that's it, an issue. Yeah. It, see, here's the thing. Quicken, and I did, I talked to the folks there uh, right when it came out, maybe a little before it came out. And here's the thing. They, uh, they, the product manager for the Mac now came over from the Windows side. Okay. He was the product manager for Windows for a long time. And when he got over to the Mac side, he said, holy cow. And this was only maybe six months ago. And, and he said, holy cow, we haven't released a product in three years. This is crazy. It, you know, uh, we've got to do something. And the answer was, well, we can do the, you know, a full blown, you know, feature for feature or close to feature for feature thing with, uh, with, you know, with the Windows version feature parity. But that'll take a really long time or we can get something out. And the decision was made to get something out. So they are very much aware of where they are and where they need to go uh, in order to have feature parity where there is no difference for the user experience between Windows and the Mac and the web. It's a, it's going to be this, you know, one kind of one thing. I think right now that Quicken Essentials is not meant for the person migrating from Quicken or, you know, from Quicken for windows or Quicken for Mac. I think it's meant for the new user that wants something on the Mac to manage their finances. Uh, if you are an existing Quicken user, my guess is you're going to want to remain an existing Quicken user. And I say that not based on personal feedback, their personal experience, because I have not experienced this yet. Um, I'm still using Quicken 2007. Uh, I I've installed essentials, but I haven't, I haven't spent enough time with it to make this decision, but based on all the feedback I'm getting from all of you folks, kind of the net of that is if you have Quicken, don't migrate to Quicken essentials. Maybe you want to migrate to money dance or money. Well, or I bank is, uh, as Jim okay. said, so. sounds like a, downgrade in a sense and actually this frightens yeah. me i see on their site here dave that this kind of scares me where where maybe it's a you know a appearance over functionality but they say improved redesigned with you in mind and I'll, I'll read one of the sentences here that kind of frightens me our interface has been completely reimagined resulting in an intuitive elegant application designed by and for mac users and i think that kind of resonates with the comment that was made is yep. that it's pretty but it's not entirely functional. That's right. So, <laughs> yes. No, seriously. You know, I see this with with uh, not. I mean, the, the 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 hardcore Mac developers who understand Mac people, I think get it. But but the thing is, I think some people that are that that flirt with the Mac market or haven't paid attention to them in a while, which I think maybe is the case, think that Mac people like things that are pretty and shiny and 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 stuff, and and they don't value functionality. And I I, I think you, you can't do that. You can't operate in the Mac market and assume that. That it's all about, you know, uh, appearance. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, and yeah, that that's right. Well, part of it is right. If you want something simple to manage your finances, maybe this is the 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 thing, right? Uh, um, I'm the wrong guy to ask. It, it, you know, I've been using Quicken since 1993, right? When I was with Citibank is when I started using it because we started mm. doing a uh, we started doing wow. Direct Connect back then. Well, we go way back don't when we? I, when I worked no, with the home banking kind of division there. You know, mm-hmm. um, so. So I and I've been managing my own finances with it since that day. So I, I'm I'm absolutely the wrong guy to ask if essentials is you know the right thing for me. I don't I don't think it's even geared for someone like me. Although uh, perhaps perhaps someday it will be. So all right, uh, we all have right. we have time for one more uh, one more. You know which one's going to be I don't know. John? Well, the thing is, I like Thomas uh, Thomas and Matt. That they're both good. Uh, I'll let you. Uh, yeah, all right. Let's let's do Matt because uh, that okay. that that is a uh, a good place General, to go. But, yep. Yeah. Okay. And now, poor of course, Matt. Of course, I need to find it. So we need to vamp a little. So bit Matt's here. problem to lead in before. Yeah. So I'll vamp a bit here. So so Matt has an issue in there. I got it. Safari seems to be quite the ram hog. Yeah. So Matt says recently I've noticed that Safari seems to be running slowly. I checked an activity monitor and realized that Safari was using over one gigabyte of memory. I thought at first it might be because of Flash, but the page it was on was Yahoo, and switching pages did not help. The only thing I could do was to quit Safari and reopen it, which fixes it for a little while, as in hours. But it always comes back. Is this normal, or am I missing something? I also use Chrome, and it does not have this problem. I've got a 2008 iMac running 10.6.2 and Safari 4.0.4. Okay. So here's what I know about Safari's RAM usage, John. Uh, yes, this is normal. Uh, Safari has what I would consider a memory leak, though it, it may or may not actually be a leak. Uh, but it, it does tend to grow and never seems to reel it in. But here's some things you can do to keep it uh, under control. Uh, one is to limit the number of tabs and windows that you leave open. Every page you have open eats more of Safari's RAM. Uh, that will help. The other thing you can do if you don't want to quit uh, is you can go and go to the uh, Safari menu and choose empty cache. That will, to a degree, reduce Safari's memory footprint. It also clears out the Safari disk cache, but it it wipes out the memory cache uh, and, and helps. If there are certain tabs, you you know, let's say you got three or four things open that you think, oh, I, I know I'm going to want to come back and read these. Well, what you can do is you can quit Safari to free up memory and then launch it again. Go to history and in the history menu, choose reopen all windows from last session as soon as you start it up. And that will bring back all those things that you had left open. Uh, but mm-hmm. don't leave too many of them open because you're, you're just going to get yourself right back to, to where you were. So uh, I think it's a pig and and I will. I'm just going to give you what I see in front of me right now, Dave. OK, so two machines in front of me right now. Yep. I have my MacBook Pro and I'm looking right now. Safari real mem. 357 megabytes. Yep. Virtual mem 460 megabytes. Yeah, don't okay. don't worry about virtual memory. That that number is not nearly as important as the real oh, memory column. Because here's the wacky thing: is I'm looking on my G5, which again I may retire. You know, give me time, give me time, folks. Yeah, that's right. I've done a lot of changes. <laughs> um, I'm looking here at my G5. Real size sixty four megabytes, virtual size seven seventy six megabytes. Yeah, don't don't worry. I about think the I got virtual. a flood. Okay, okay. Yeah, just just look at your real memory allocation. That's that's the most important thing. Uh, but but I, I would say in general, yeah. The, uh, 
It, and you know, I think it, it it's memory leaks as well. Now, Dave, uh, I don't know how often you look at the console, but there are so many times when I look at the console and I see WebKit and Safari and other things throwing these memory allocation errors. And I think you were hinting at this is that, you know, the, the, there are a lot of memory leaks in Safari. Now, if you yeah. go to the console, again, if, if you're a developer, especially, you may cringe at what you see in there because there are calls to the debugger, there are malloc calls, there are unrecovered memory calls. I just don't know how well Safari is architected. Either Safari or WebKit, which, which as you hinted before, WebKit is the core of a lot of things in, in Mac OS X, including I, Safari. I don't think it's WebKit, and here's right. why. I'm pretty sure Google's Chrome uses WebKit. Okay. Um, so it's Safari? It's, so it's Safari. It, it, okay. Yeah, it's, it's just, yeah, Safari is the wrapper, you know, is the browser wrapper to, to right. WebKit. But yeah, no, I think WebKit's okay. I think it's just that Safari isn't managing its, its relationship with WebKit directly. You know, uh, it, like, fi- just, just in case anybody's confused, Firefox is a browser and it's standalone. It, it does everything inside itself, right? It, it does all its HTML rendering, all that stuff within itself. Safari, yeah really doesn't do much by itself. I mean, it manages your bookmarks. It, you know, it, it does, it it does plenty by itself, but the web page rendering is actually done by a core uh, component of the system called WebKit. And if you go back to the beginning of the show, we were talking about Apple's mail and its ability to render HTML uh, email. Well, that's because it also uses WebKit. WebKit is this framework that applications can tap into and third party apps can do it too. Uh, it's not just limited to Apple apps and anybody can, can say, Oh, Hey, I've got yeah. some HTML I want rendered, throw it to WebKit and WebKit kind of send, you know, does its, does yeah. its deal. So, well, I think the equivalent, uh, so Firefox and others, uh, I think their equivalent is Gecko. Yes. Right. Y- yes. But it's baked into the application. It's not, you're not using, there's no Gecko framework running on Mac OS 10, if I'm not mistaken. Right. I mean, you can't you can't tap into the Gecko framework. You can't write an app and assume that the Gecko framework is going to be there on a Mac that you can tap into and use. You have to bake that framework into your app. Whereas if you're using WebKit, you just rely on it being available on every Mac running OS 10. Right. Yeah, Uh, we'll see. Uh, All I know is that Gecko is a portion of you know, Firefox and some other, uh, right. Some other programs. Right. So I think it's similar, maybe not exactly on the same level. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's it's at the application level, not at the, at the system level, but yeah, Safari does something wrong where, you know, the other thing you could try is, uh, you could, there is a web browser just to confuse things even more. There's a web browser called (laughs) WebKit. Uh, It's an open source browser that was essentially started by Apple. It has an icon very, very similar to Safari's. Uh, A lot of the Safari development team works on this WebKit browser as well, because it is where the uh, WebKit's an open source thing uh, in in its, in its own, in its own way. What I forget what they called it um, in in the beginning. It was a, a, a began with a K. And I can't, the name escapes me, but it was some cool name with a K. But, but anyway, uh, you Conqueror? can go conqueror. Thank you. Yes. Whoa. Uh, where did that come from? But oh you can go goodness. to web webkit.org and download the latest nightly build of webkit. And so you can have a newer version of what will likely become Safari, uh, down the road. There are some things in there that, that won't get baked into Safari, but, but you can, you can do that. So, 
and and a lot of people run the WebKit nightly builds and and say that they're way better than the you know the ancient builds of Safari that get kind of you know dated with uh, with the operating system. So yeah, and yeah. I gotta say, me Dave, I I run Safari pretty much on the Mac as my default browser. Yeah. But when things screw up, either because and I've run into this like. Uh, state of Connecticut and, and a lot of people that they will now at least be polite enough to come up and say, uh, dude, I don't support Safari. Please download Firefox from Mac. Right. Okay. Right. Before they just wouldn't do that. At least now they, you know, somebody was smart enough to say, Hey, let's detect the browser coming in and tell them that, that, that we don't like them. That's right. <laughs> Versus just not working. That's right. So, um, but anyways, right. you know what that Dave contact information, you want to know how you can send in tips, follow-ups, and of course your own questions. Uh, the best place is to email them to feedback at macgeekgab.com. If you're a, uh, if you're, if you're just a, a regular subscriber and if you're a premium subscriber, email them to premium at macgeekgab.com so that we I, can I don't keep think things I separated out. Quite heard you, Dave. I thought you said feedback at macgeekgab.com or premium at macgeekgab.com. Was that correct? You got it. That's right. Feedback at MacGeekGab.com or premium at MacGeekGab.com. Or if you're driving along and you have a hands-free, safe nope, way of doing nope, this, nope. Uh, okay. you Thank can goodness. dial 206-666-GEEK, which is 4335. And do not drive and yak on your phone or at least have a hands-free, though I, I still have issues with that, Dave. <laughs> I know you can handle it, but I know I I, I got to say invariably I see people swerving on the road and just doing slowing up and and speeding up and stuff, and invariably they're yakking on their phone. Come oh, on, yeah. people, yeah, drive, don't talk, drive. Uh, I'm sorry, the car talk guys I think are right. <laughs> just just drive your car, man. Okay, no, I know you do this, Dave. You you do it, you know, in the, in the dead of the night when you're coming back from a show or something like that, and you're you're not in like you know you know bumper to bumper traffic, but but, but I see people. Oh my gosh, it's terrible. Come on, drive your car. That's, uh, you know, you got a big hulking piece of metal that can kill people. Be responsible. Are we all set there, John? I, I think so. Sorry, okay. was it was the rant uh, rant off? Okay, good. All right. What else? Uh, Skype. You can, yep, you can Skype us to? To? Uh, Mac Geekab. That's right. I've heard some hiccups. Uh, some people have wrote us, and I, I guess it rolls over sometimes. You know, give it give it another shot. I think you and I have beat on it, Dave. Yeah, um, yeah, it, it works as near as I can tell. So, and we do get comments that way. So, uh, and you can also, speaking of comments, you can leave. Uh, it's only a one way train because we can't reply, but uh, you can go and leave comments uh, for us at iTunes, and we definitely appreciate that. It it really helps us uh, keep the show out there. Uh, on iTunes and and in the featured section, and that's good for for all of us because it keeps a lot of material coming in, and uh, and that's yep. that's a good. Where's thing. the band? I, I was just about to go get the band. Are we? Uh, I think we're. I was going to say, did yeah. you, are they out playing in the nice weather? Can can I point something out, John? That that uh, yes, we're sir. in the regular studio setup here, and we oh. have made it through this show without a single uh, audio oh interruption. Gosh. Did you? Do say you must have done something. It couldn't I, be just the audio god smiling upon us. It well, see, that's the thing. It may be the audio god smiling upon us because remember, we changed nothing and went months and months without really any issues. And then, and you know, and then we'd have one occasionally here or there. But then, and obviously, you took my suggestion, and then everything went to a, to a heck in a handbasket. Handbasket is what it did. <laughs> um, you know. <laughs> It, so what I did, though, was I did some research and and the net is that Firewire audio on the Mac sucks. 
um, it, they, they, the drivers or the chipset or the combination of the two, mm-hmm. uh, um, especially on the Intel Macs, is just a nightmare. It, it results in all those pops and clicks and all that stuff that uh, that we've had. Yeah. Now, you told me you were talking to uh, our friend, uh, one of our friends, about this, and he confirmed that. Yeah, I was talking to Adam Christensen just today. I was ranting about it on the phone with him, and he's like, yeah, man, I'm with you. Uh, and he concurred. So yeah. he has the same issues. Yeah. And what is going on here? But, I thought Mac was an audio machine, Dave. Yeah, well, this is terrible. Know. Yeah, good luck. Um, so, but what I what I did change, uh, and I cha- I made some minor change. I di- you know, of course, I didn't honor the troubleshooting process and only change one thing and then test it, right? So I changed a couple of things, but I think mm. the big change was I was using not one but two FireWire audio devices simultaneously. Now, bear in mind, folks, this worked just mm. fine. For many many moons on the uh, on the PowerPC Mac, and also worked on this one fairly well for quite a while, uh, but it uh, it stopped working. So I pulled one of the FireWire interfaces out. I was using one to get audio, uh, John Skype audio, and then the audio from Yojimbo uh, out to the mixing board, and then using the mixing board to pull it back in. And the reason I was doing that was because on the Intel Mac, the audio circuit was really, really noisy. So if I was going out the headphone jack for those two channels, uh, John's signal was was really kind of muffled and, and hissy because of the sound of the computer. Well, I went back to that. I pulled the other FireWire box out. I went back to just going out the headphone jack. And I have to say, John, I was pleasantly surprised when we tested it earlier today, and I heard no noise whatsoever. So sweet, yeah. So, uh, so that's what we did for this show, and it seemed to work. So we're gonna we're gonna leave it as it is, and uh, and you folks let us know how it sounded. I know John's Skype signal today was a little crummy. That we get that when we do the show in the middle of the day. Um, but uh, but it's you the know, internet. It is what it is. Yeah. Inner tubes. So, all right. Uh, iPhoneAlley.com is where Michael Johnston. Uh, uh, spends his days, and then uh, he's also got the. Uh, well, it's not the iPhone Alley podcast anymore, is it? I think it's the This Week in iPhone podcast that he's doing. Um, in fact, we'll have to get we'll have to get a, a reading from him on that. So so, but he's still doing the podcast, and uh, yeah. I, yeah. So anyway, we hinted there were changes. Yeah, we'll there there to... are some changes. Yeah, I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah. I'm honestly not sure how much of them uh, we were talking about publicly or not. So I'm just going to kind of obscure the issue and, and let the band mm-hmm. uh, continue here. Great. So uh, cashfly.com, c a c h e f l y dot com, is the place that provides all the bandwidth. Podcast Marketplace includes the A2 desktop speakers from Audio Engine, Yojimbo from Barebone Software, PDF Pen from Smile on My Mac, Notebook from Circus Ponies, and go to assist.com slash gab gets you go to Assist Express from Citrix for 30 days free. All through the Backbeat Media Podcast Network. And John, I believe that's it. That is it. That's it. Dude, the weather's nice, man. I'm going to go out and frolic. <laughs> Can I do that? Yeah. Go to the Legally? park. Poison some pigeons. <laughs> No. You gotta hear that song. We gotta find a link to it. If, if you are gonna go to the park, though, and I think I think Tom Lehrer would, would appreciate this, just don't get caught. Made up.